This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. What went through your mind when Toronto traded for Ryan O'Reilly? There's some, you know, speculation that that might might have been a team that. Oh, um, yeah. I don't think there's uh, really. I mean, at least that I know of, much much discussion of uh, that being an option. So I think that was. Uh, I know there's there's a lot of different reports out there, um, uh, and uh, not all of them are true. So gotta be careful what you listen to. And that's Pat Kane, uh, hat trick last night. Just reminding everybody, right? Just reminding everybody about how good he really is. And despite all the conversation about the hip and slowing down and blah 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 blah, five goals in two games by Patrick Kane, and everybody is wondering where he's going. I think it's moved past once again if he's going, although I still don't think it's a guarantee that he is going anywhere. This is his decision. I think we're wondering where he's going and a couple of different locations that do make a lot of sense. And right there, he shot down um, the obvious Maple Leafs question. You're playing Toronto. You played him a couple of... um, I think we wonder about the Dallas Stars. I think we wonder about the Edmonton Oilers. And I think we wonder about the Vegas Golden Knights. Like, I think we're all of the mind that Vegas is going to do something. Well, it's Kelly McCrimmon, so you have to say big, right? It's a Vegas Golden Knights. So you have to say something big, right? I think we're going to do something big here. You know, we wonder if that might be Timo Meyer. And we wonder if that might be Patrick Kane as well. Um, but an absolutely huge game by Patrick Kane yesterday. Hat-trick against the Maple Leafs. Chicago Blackhawks uh, beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we're all talking about Kane once again. One of the only big forwards that are still remaining on the board. After Ryan O'Reilly gets traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs, we're wondering about Timo Meyer now with the upper body injury. Although I don't think it's anything serious. I think it's bubble wrap, bubble wrap time. It's nerf the world time for Timo Meyer and the San Jose Sharks. And we're wondering about Patrick Kane as well. Going to talk plenty about Patrick Kane here on the show today. Uh, it's family day in Ontario. Elliot is taking the day off. Uh, we're going to talk about Jonathan Taves uh, with Dr. Ali Rendley here in a couple of moments. Uh, Taves pretty much saying over the weekend suffering um, from the effects of long covid um, and, you know, health is a priority. Uh, health is one. Hockey is second. We'll talk about this with Dr. Ali Rendley here coming up in uh, in a couple of moments here on the program. Uh, also coming up on the show today, going to talk to Shana Goldman uh, of The Athletic, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic as well at the bottom of the hour, more on Chicago uh, and their situation, which extends further than just Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. Uh, it would extend to Connor Murphy and Jake McCabe and Max Domi, Uh, A lot of names that we wonder about with the Chicago Blackhawks organization. Uh, I mentioned Shannon Goldman uh, coming up in hour two as well. And Gary Galley from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. It is the Winnipeg Jets and the New York Rangers. And those Rangers involved in yet another deal uh, this past weekend. The Vladimir Tarasenko deal was one thing. And then there is the Tyler Mott deal, which we saw uh, over the weekend. He goes from Ottawa to New York comma again as i mentioned on the the podcast that came out this morning this is kind of like jim rutherford and matt cullen right remember when jim rutherford everywhere that he went every chance he had a every time he had a chance to bring matt cullen back he always would and we're now wondering this is twice is tyler mott chris drury's matt cullen uh Tyler Mott goes to the Rangers in exchange for Julian Goche and a conditional seventh round draft pick. I don't think at all, and I don't think any of us do, 
I don't think any of us suspect that the Rangers are still done. There is still the Vitaly Kravtsov issue to be settled. Uh, we expect him to be dealt by March 3rd. Potential suitors, we wonder. Uh, I got a couple of leads this morning, so I have a couple of phone calls out. We'll see where they go, and we'll see what comes back over the next two hours, and I'll see what I can share with you here in a, in a couple of moments. Uh, don't forget, too, President's Day stateside, so we've got some afternoon hockey. Uh, in just under an hour, the Anaheim Ducks and the Florida Panthers will face off. Speaking of the Florida Panthers, just one quick aside. Eventually... The Jesse Pugliarvi situation with Edmonton is going to come to a head, and Pugliarvi will be somewhere else. Whether that's by way of trade, whether that's by way of waivers, we don't know. But eventually, this will arrive at a conclusion. And one of the teams that I wonder about for Pugliarvi are the Florida Panthers. And I know a lot of casual hockey fans who don't want to read any deeper than the boxcars, um, than the boxcar numbers, may look at Pajarvi and will say, you know, the whole idea of hockey is taking that, you know, that round black thing and putting that over the red line and trying to get it over that red line as many times as you can, at least try to do it more than the other team. That way you get two points and they get zero. I know the boxcars don't look good for Jesse Pugliarvi, but defensively, still a really good player and still a highly talented player as well. It's more than obvious, I think, to a lot of people that Pugliarvi needs the quote-unquote change of scenery, the breath of fresh air. I really wonder if the Florida Panthers could be that team. Like, at times, there has been interest from Carolina. I still think that might be a fit. Uh, at times, we believe there's been interest by the Detroit Red Wings, uh, I've always wondered about a team like the New Jersey Devils, who always pride themselves on being or trying to be the smartest team in the NHL. Anyway, just as an aside uh, with the Florida Panthers, I don't know that I'd be surprised at all if it, at the end of this, Pugliarvi ends up a cat. We'll see. Florida Panthers and the Anaheim Ducks coming up at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern. You can watch that one on Sportsnet. Uh, also, the Ottawa Senators and the Boston Bruins. Can we pause can we pause a second here and just discuss how good Tim Stutzla is? Like at the beginning of the season, I remember I was on a big Stutzla thing. I'd just been to Germany and watched him work out and watched how he had changed his body and training camp, etc. And I just had the feeling, again, I've missed way more than I've nailed. So trust me, this isn't me pumping my own tires. It just seemed like Tim Stutzla was poised for that breakout season for the season where finally he pulls away from the pack, distinguishes himself from that entire draft class of Alexi Lafreniere and Quentin Byfield and Raymond and Sanderson and, and all of them and says, I am the best guy in this draft class. This weekend, in a lot of ways, should have probably cemented it for a lot of people that right now he is the class of that draft. Three points, uh, two goals and one assist against the St. Louis Blues. He now has... 59 points. This is the breakout we've been waiting to see from Tim Stutzla. I think the only question is, when are we going to talk about him like he is the best player on the Ottawa Senators, period? Maybe it's now. Maybe it's now. Like, I asked the same thing about Martin Natchez with the Carolina Hurricanes. We'll get to 88 here in a little bit. But at what point are we just flat out saying, Stutzla is the best player on this team? That's it. The fight is for second. I'm not saying most important. I'm not saying most valuable. I'm saying just the best player on the team. 
26 goals so far this season for Tim Stutzla. He's having a whopper of a season in an otherwise dark season for the Ottawa Senators, one that has been clouded with controversy and poor performance, although technically they're not out of this thing yet. Um, Tim Stutzla has been outstanding. So we'll see the Ottawa Senators face off against the Boston Bruins. That is the other 1 o'clock start. There's a couple of 4 o'clock starts as well. The Seattle Kraken face off against the San Jose Sharks. Still believe that Seattle will do something. Don't know how big it will be. Uh, I do wonder about Carson Soucy. You know, bottom pairing defenseman, expiring contract. A lot of teams are looking for him. Are players like him? You know, do the Seattle Kraken just let him walk away for nothing at the end of the season? Maybe roll the dice and say, hey, we know you like it here in Seattle. Are you interested in a team-friendly deal to stay? Or do they say, despite the fact that, you know, we found lightning in a bottle this year, we're a playoff team, we also have to protect our assets and we can't let someone of his quality walk for nothing. Wonder there, and the San Jose Sharks are the San Jose Sharks, and we're all wondering about Timo Meyer and where he's going to land and what the return is. Again, I wonder about Vegas. We all wonder about the New Jersey Devils. I was saying on the weekend uh, on the Players' Cast that I don't know that there's a team that can offer more than the New Jersey Devils. I don't know if there's a team out there that, considering the need they have for Timo Meyer, what do we talk about with the New Jersey Devils? Highly skilled yet, eh, Maybe a little bit on the smaller side of things. Maybe a little bit on the smaller side of things. Probably could use some size. Still a premium on skill. This is New Jersey after all. If you can improve your team a smidgen, a smidgen with skill, you always make that deal and you always do it. That's the lesson of the salary cap, folks. Or one of the lessons of the salary cap. When you're presented with that situation, you do it. So of all the teams that have an elite need because everybody needs someone like Timo Meyer on their team, but an elite need and has a design to go deep into the playoffs, maybe the team that can offer the most by way of return to Mike Greer are the New Jersey Devils. So that is the line that we're sort of drawing. Having said that, watch him go somewhere else. Oh, by the way, if he does indeed go to the New Jersey Devils, um, anybody in the Western Conference want to do something here? Are are we not noticing here that the Eastern Conference is becoming uh, a knife fight? I described it on the podcast as the Eastern Octagon. It's not the Eastern Conference anymore. You know, you look at, on the weekend, Ryan O'Reilly to the Eastern Conference. You look at um, Vladimir Tarasenko from St. Louis to the Eastern Conference. Previous, Bo Horvat from Vancouver to the Eastern Conference. We'll see what happens with Timo Meyer. Is it going to be New Jersey? Could it be Carolina to the Eastern Conference? When you consider... And you have a look at how wide open the Western Conference is right now. And the Colorado Avalanche, nice comeback win, by the way, against the Edmonton Oilers on the weekend. That one was huge. And no Makar in that one. We'll see what happens there. And they have injuries, Eric Johnson being the latest with the ankle. He'll be out for a while. But Gabriel Landeskog is returning and skating in Denver. Considering Colorado may have taken that small step backwards, although Rantanen does look good. McKinnon looks fantastic. If you look at the Avalanche and say, well, maybe they've taken a small step back here. Western Conference is wide open. Does anybody in the West want to do anything about it? Does anybody in the West want to really help their team come trade deadline time? Because, because all the forwards 
all, all the headline forwards are getting gobbled up. San Jose Sharks, Seattle Kraken at 4 o'clock Eastern, Calgary Flames, and the Philadelphia Flyers at 4. You watch that on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet West. That was a big win by Calgary against the Rangers on Saturday. Going to get to them here in a, uh, in a couple of moments. Um, so those are some of the games this afternoon and then a pair of games later on this evening. The Islanders face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Lower body for Matthew Barzell. He is out indefinitely. That stings hard for the Islanders and makes it that much more important. Um, for Bo Horvat uh, on that team. Another moment for the former captain of the Vancouver Canucks to shine. They'll face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And here's the thing that I've always said about the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I'll say it again this season. I've said it again lately. When they are good, man, they are some kind of good. But when Pittsburgh is bad, they are some kind of bad. This one will be interesting. Islanders and Penguins, and then later on Sportsnet on uh, on Rogers Monday Night Hockey, it's the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the New York Rangers again. I don't think the Rangers are done. I still think the Drury wants to make a deal. Uh, we know that they want to unload Kraftsoff. Where's the destination? Could it be to Vancouver for Nils Hoaglander? Will it be Kraftsoff Plus for Nils Hoaglander? Something like that. Again, I'm. Just throwing it against the wall here at quarter after 12 Eastern on a Monday morning on President's Day stateside, family day here in Ontario, uh, Rangers and Winnipeg Jets. We shall see what happens there. Okay, so to a couple of more things before I bring on Dr. Ali Rendley, the Ryan O'Reilly deal. So this one was a whopper, and as I talked about last week on the show, it, it felt as if Kyle Dubas this year more than other years uh, was poised to have the big trade and make the big trade. And I don't think it's just because he didn't have the big trade on his resume. I think that might have been part of it, but I don't think that was the sole motivator here. You know, making phone calls on Saturday in advance of hockey night, the common theme that kept returning and coming back to me over and over and over again is this is a slam dunk for the Toronto Maple Leafs for a couple of reasons. One, they didn't have to touch their lineup. They didn't have to touch their roster. You know, Elliot and I talked about the idea of, you know, the the the, the trade that brought in Ryan O'Reilly and Nola Chari. You know, there has there have been people that have wondered if the Maple Leafs, you know, inquired as well about Barbashev and maybe bringing him in. And at which point you would have to assume the Maple Leafs would have had to touch their lineup. With this deal... They didn't. Um, you know, Gaudet is part of it. A prospect is part of it. A first, a second, and a third. We wonder what St. Louis does with all that. Park that one for a couple of seconds here. Um, but they made the big move. And the one thing that I kept hearing is, if you're going to go deep in the playoffs, it's always good to have players that are versatile, specifically up front. And whether it's playing at center, as we saw on the weekend, whether it's playing on the wing, Ryan O'Reilly certainly is that and is not that far removed uh, from Conn Smythe, not that far removed from a Selkie Trophy either. Um, and you wonder about, even though Dubas, I believe he used a, a marriage metaphor for this one on Saturday at the press conference, you know, we wonder at which point the Maple Leafs have a look at Ryan O'Reilly, maybe they already have and had a conversation with the agent and wondered about some type of extension here. Um, so that was a whopper. Now with the St. Louis Blues, real quick, so I want to get to Dr. Rendley here in a second. Um, real quick with the St. Louis Blues. Here is, here's what I wonder about at this point. So they've moved Tarasenko and Mikola. 
They've now moved Ryan O'Reilly and Achari. It wouldn't surprise anybody if they move Barbashev. That's kind of an obvious one, right? I don't know that it would be beyond the realm of possibility that they might move a defenseman as well. But I don't think they want to do the teardown rebuild. It sounds as if Doug Armstrong is still interested in one very specific timeline. And the timelines, we always talk about, whenever we talk about Vancouver, right, we'd always talk about timelines. Oh, you're going to do it on the Pedersen Hughes timeline. When it comes to the St. Louis Blues, the timeline that you're looking at here is a timeline that complements players like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. I think we can throw Jake Neighbors into that equation as well. Um, if you complement that timeline, there's room for you here. If not, we might have to make a decision. And now with the St. Louis Blues holding three first-round draft picks in a very deep draft this year, plus having prospects, whether it's you know the defenseman Scott Prunovich, whether it's netminder Joel Hofer, heck, it might even be the aforementioned Jake Neighbors that I just mentioned a second ago. Don't they have kind of all the pieces for a Jacob Chikrin, who, by the way, is 24 and fits that timeline? Don't they kind of have now all the pieces you need to do a Jacob Chikrin deal with the Arizona Coyotes? You know, that was one of the teams that we wondered about last season. There a lot of teams we wondered about with Chikrin. We wondered about Florida, wondered about Anaheim, wondered about Los Angeles, still wonder about Los Angeles, wondered about Columbus, still wonder about Columbus. Boston, still wonder about Boston. But do we think there's a chance maybe St. Louis jumps back into this fray? You know, it's pretty obvious that Arizona doesn't want to bring back money in this deal. They want futures. They're in the green banana business. They're not in the yellow banana business. They got a lot of green bananas. And that's what Bill Armstrong wants right now. You wonder. St. Louis, Arizona, Chikrin. St. Louis has the pieces. And I wonder what that does to the Los Angeles Kings if a team like St. Louis jumps back into it. Anyhow, interesting time around the NHL. Uh, really glad that you're with me today. I uh, want to talk plenty about Patrick Kane today. Um, and I want to talk plenty as well uh, about Jonathan Taves. So Jonathan Taves um, updating Chicago Blackhawks fans that he is suffering symptoms of long COVID and also chronic immune response syndrome, to which we all said health first, hockey second, and then said, okay, what are the symptoms of long COVID? What is chronic immune response syndrome? I am about 100% unqualified to talk about this. Unlike my next guest, uh, she is Dr. Allie Rendley. You've heard her on this program before. She's a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician at the University Health Network's Toronto Rehab, uh, works in sports medicine, uh, special interest in COVID rehabilitation. She runs a UHN interdisciplinary COVID rehab clinic at Toronto Rehab, and she is much more qualified to talk about this and much smarter than all of this. So school is now in session. Let's all pay attention as we bring in Dr. Ali Rendley. Uh, Dr. Rendley, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, doing well, you? Yeah. Uh, I'm well. So when you first heard slash saw this news yesterday about Jonathan Taves, like what goes through your mind as someone who deals with this on a daily basis? First of all, maybe if you could explain, um, you know, uh, what both long COVID and chronic immune response syndrome is. So we just have a, a base to work from here. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so like you, I was health first and hockey second and really applaud him for coming forward, being transparent and um, showing a bit of vulnerability that it's okay to be suffering with health conditions and need to step away from the game of hockey. And that doesn't take away his love for the game, but he needs to get his health on track first. So wishing him a speedy recovery. In terms of post-COVID condition or what some people are calling long COVID or long collars, Uh, It really is a multi-organ system uh, disorder, and it is still under investigation in terms of the exact reason it's happening. There's some proposed uh, hypotheses that are are being well-researched, but as of right now, they're estimating upwards of uh, 65 million individuals are suffering. So once you've had COVID and you've um, gotten better from the acute infection, you are still having these ongoing symptoms that have not allowed you to return to life, to things that you want to be doing. For some people, they can't even get up, get dressed, get showered day to day, get to work, let alone start exercising Mm. or returning to sports such as hockey. So it can be quite debilitating and it can span every uh, organ system in the body. There's over 200 symptoms that have been documented um, worldwide from patients who have been suffering over the past two to three years since we started dealing with acute COVID infection and then long COVID. In terms of chronic immune response is, syndrome, oh, yeah. I, I was just going to say, before we get to that, can, let me just ask you one mm-hmm. thing about, about long COVID and hockey specifically. And again, I'm coming at this from a complete from a complete position of ignorance, so forgive me if this is an ignorant mm-hmm. question. Are there some sports that it's easier to return to if you suffer the effects of long COVID as opposed to hockey, i.e. is there something very specific about the nature of hockey that makes it, you know, near impossible to return early or return or have, you know, any type of uh, situation where you can, you know, you can play at the NHL level, anything exclusive to hockey when we think long COVID. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And his initial diagnosis, from my understanding, was in February 2020, really before the pandemic even started. And the original variant at that time was much more um, affecting the lungs and the respiratory system. So breathing, uh, affecting heart and heart rate. So if he did have the original variant or presumed so based on his timeline, uh, having not known his case specifically myself, uh, I would to, would assume that the toll that hockey takes, those fast spurts of skating that need really high-level uh, cardiopulmonary system working well, so your heart and lungs working well together to kind of give you that burst, uh, would be much harder to return to than, say, something maybe like golf, which doesn't necessarily have that same... Um, demand in the same way using different different parts of mm. uh, the body system to achieve success um i would i would think that he returned to some degree he played a lot of games in 21 22 and i believe about 46 games this season so it seems to have been kind of up and down yeah. for him after he missed the entirety of the 2020 and 2021 season uh but i i would say hockey's probably up there basketball football, anything that really requires a lot of that uh, high uh, cardiorespiratory system involvement. 
So, as we all know, like, John the Taves is an elite-level athlete and has been for the majority of his life. Um, but he's 34 years old now. Does age factor into this at all? Well, where I come from, 34 is young. <laughs> so, let's throw that out there. <laughs> Not in hockey. <laughs> Not in the hockey world. Not in hockey, we doctor. Know, yeah. <laughs> we know in general, um, exercise can be really, really difficult for patients with long COVID. And those that are uh, really um, debilitated by post-COVID symptoms, exercise is, is really tough for them. And there's a subset of patients that have post-exertional malaise or um, some people are calling it post-exertional symptom exacerbation that exercise worsens their symptoms and causes them to flare delaying their recovery even further from days to weeks to months so Mm -hmm. exercise in general regardless of age um, can be be really tricky in the recovery process in terms of age uh, hockey takes a toll on his body he's been training for decades to even get uh, into the NHL and now to sustain his career for the last 16 years. So I would imagine that kind of toll over time uh, is not on his side right now at being 34. Um, in terms of recovering from the illness itself, he's still in a good place. When we think of age from post-COVID condition or recovering from COVID, it's more the 65 plus that seem to have a more difficult time and then getting above 80. So from that regard, not necessarily um, working against him. From returning to where he is at a high-level hockey, I think absolutely it'll be much harder for him than someone who's more of a rookie who hasn't had those years uh, in addition to all the playoff games on top of the regular season that he's had over his career. Uh, Okay, to the other issue. So uh, chronic immune response syndrome. I'll be completely honest. I had never heard of this. I had heard of um, chronic um, inflammatory response syndrome, but I had never heard of chronic immune response syndrome. Is it the same thing or is it different? Yeah, you're not alone. When you look it up, there is no good published literature on chronic immune response syndrome. So there's no specific definition or diagnosis, and it's definitely not a term that I Uh, have given or seen with my patients um, that I've worked with. So it seems to me like it's a nonspecific diagnosis that his group of physicians and healthcare providers have used to help explain some of these general or more vague constellation of uh, symptoms that he's been experiencing over the past three or so years. We know that Mm -hmm. other viral illnesses, even predating COVID, can have uh, long-term kind of consequences, including uh, post-viral fatigue or post-viral fatigue syndrome and chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which you mentioned, and have uh, ongoing changes to the immune system with some dysregulation to it. And so maybe that's kind of just what they're getting at by calling it chronic immune response syndrome, but it's not... Um, mm-hmm. a medical entity that has a good diagnosis that I can kind of point you to the right uh, literature to talk about who kind of falls into that category. Okay, so um, right now, unfortunately, time isn't our friend, but uh, I do want to ask you about, like, if I'm a fan of Jonathan Taves, if I'm a fan of the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, what what is Jonathan Taves facing here for, you know, recovery, for rehab? I know 
it's probably irresponsible to even try to recommend some type of timeline uh, for him making a return to hockey. But if I'm if I'm thinking, well, I, I wonder what Taves is going through here. What's the answer? I think you want to treat him based on his symptoms. So what are his primary symptoms? What are his triggers for those symptoms? And how can you have him cope better with the symptoms that he's experiencing? Ideally, you get them to a point where they disappear completely, where they resolve. Sometimes that's not always the case. And you get to a point where they're more manageable and he can tolerate them better. But until he's more symptom-free and able to do daily activities, and live a a life where he's more comfortable, you're not really thinking about the return to hockey at that point. Once he gets past these symptoms and feels like they're more under control, that's where it's similar to a post-concussion rehab protocol where you start getting back on the ice, gentle skating, kind of working it up independently before you even think about drills or contact or practice or game. So I would say it's a long kind of road ahead of him because he knows what happens when you return too soon. And he doesn't want to make that mistake again and come back and then have to leave again uh, for several games. So I think at this point, uh, my guess would be a, a pretty prolonged time away from the game, but only him and his team know how severe the symptoms are right now and how many they're dealing with, how mm-hmm. often, and, and what those triggers are. Health first, hockey second. Um, Dr. Rendley, thanks as always. Um, you've always been great and really generous with your time and expertise. I uh, really appreciate you sharing it today. Thanks so much for this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, Dr. Ali Rendley, uh, physical medicine and rehabilitation physician. Uh, she co-runs the University Health Network's Toronto Rehab and uh, interdisciplinary COVID, uh, COVID rehab clinic at Toronto Rehab. And uh, as I usually say, when Dr. Randall is on in full transparency, I've known her um, for years. And this is a, this is kind of a lesson for young people that think like, oh, I'm on the train tracks of something and I can't pivot and start a new career and start a new life. Uh, I first met Dr. Rendley when she was, I think, 17 or 18 years old. She was an intern um, for the Old Leafs Lunch Radio Show I used to do for Bill Waters. Uh, then she went on to work uh, with Hockey Night in Canada in the editing suite, was a runner for Hockey Night, uh, did some work for the NHL on NBC, always had dreams to work in uh, hockey broadcasting, did some work with the uh, the Maple Leafs play-by-play crew as well. And then pivoted to go to med school and now is one of the most widely recommended and widely respected doctors uh, that you'll meet in Ontario, if not nationwide. So that's a real great pivot and that's a really impressive person. And any chance I get um, any chance I get to mention Dr. Rendley's name or in this case, bring her on the show, I always will. She's a incredibly, um, uh, incredibly impressive person and a real nice family too. Mom's a hockey player. Uh, I've played with her. She's great. Uh, we're going to hit a break here. Um, when we come back, we're going to stay on the Chicago Blackhawks uh, scene with Mark Lazarus from The Athletic. Whether it's Kane, whether it's Taves, whether it's McCabe, whether it's Murphy, whether it's Domi, and maybe even... Should we throw Seth Jones's name in there? I know he's locked into a contract that pays him a bajillion dollars for a bajillion years, as Elliot Friedman would say. 
Could there be anything there as Kyle Davidson redoes this Blackhawks team? Uh, where are the Blackhawks now? Where are they going? Mark Lazarus from The Athletic comments and moments. Merrick show uh, across the Sportsnet radio network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. I'll return in a moment. Keep it here. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up in hour two, Gary Galley from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Jets Rangers tonight on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Looking forward to that one. Six games on the go around the NHL today, including a pair starting here in a cozy 25 minutes. Uh, in the meantime, also Shannon Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. A little tour around the NHL. We'll, we'll have a little have a conversation about bubble teams, uh, where they're at, what they need in advance of trade deadline. Uh, but joining me now from The Athletic is Mark Lazarus, covers the Chicago Blackhawks, a team that uh, looked pretty impressive last night, uh, made headlines all weekend long, and will continue to do so uh, right up until March 3rd. And to be honest, we expect longer as well. Mark, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. So I just had um, Dr. Ali Rendley on a couple of moments ago. So she works at a COVID uh, rehab clinic here in uh, in Toronto, talking about the the Jonathan Taves situation, uh, long COVID, chronic immune response syndrome, and you know I, I don't think anyone's expecting to see Jonathan Taves obviously anytime soon if at all, for the remainder of the season. But um, the other player that we're wondering about has kind of, you know, once again, really distinguished himself. And it wasn't just the Maple Leaf game because the previous game was a pair of goals as well, and that makes five in two games. And now everybody once again is wondering about Patrick Kane. I think we wonder about Vegas. I think we wonder about Dallas. I think we wonder about Edmonton. Who else should we wonder about? Uh, Carolina would be interested in Patrick Kane. Uh, I've I've heard that one. Um, It's still, I think, mathematically conceivable that the Rangers could add him. So uh, you can't rule it out completely if you can get a third team to launder the money. Um, The the options are still open, but it's it's still in Patrick Kane's court, right? I mean, he, I don't think he's really made up his mind yet. I think he expects to leave, but he hasn't been able to bring himself to say it out loud yet. You know, it's interesting. Two weeks ago, I had a conversation with someone who, uh, as you like to say in the industry, is close to the situation and and pretty close to Patrick Kane as well. And this person said to me, Merrick, this is your this is your homework. You need to figure out where his heart is because his heart used to be in Chicago. And that began to break in the summer. And then his heart moved to the Big Apple in New York. And then that crumbled with the Tarasenko deal. Your job is to find out where his heart is right now. And I said, I don't even know if Patrick Kane knows where his heart is right now. It's already been broken a couple of times. Do you have any idea, Mark, where his heart may be right now? I think it's torn. I mean, you know, over the summer, like you mentioned, when they traded to Brinkett and they let Dylan Strom walk, those are two of his closest friends in hockey. Those were his two line mates, and they helped him have a 90-point season last year. So when they traded him and he realized, God, I'm just never going to win again in Chicago, I think it ate him up inside. But entering this season, you know, he's he's very loyal to a Blackhawks organization that always stood by him through all the bad stuff off the ice and all the good stuff on the ice. He is incredibly loyal to Chicago, and I don't think he could bring himself to really acknowledge that it was at the end. 
But as the season went on and the losses piled up, those two eight-game losing streaks back-to-back in November, uh, you could just see it weighing on him. And I, I don't think he knows where to go. The Rangers would have worked. He would have been happy. Big City, original six franchise, Artemi Panarin, chance to win. Uh, I don't know if he looks at Dallas yeah. the same way. I mean, if he wants to, if his only goal is to win a Stanley Cup, Dallas is the best way, right? West is wide open. And that's the best team in the West. But does Patrick Kane yeah. want to go to Dallas? I don't know if he could really bring himself to do that at this point. You know, it's interesting, too, because I'm of the firm belief of, I think we all understand, you know, Dallas has at least inquired or have had the conversations, Jim Nill and Kyle Davidson. And I think one of the things that Dallas is looking for, just to be blunt, Mark, is they want someone to play with Tyler Sagan. Like, that top line is cemented. That is in stone. I think they're looking now and saying, to your point, hey, you know, we might be the best team in the Western Conference, and we got a legit shot at winning the Stanley Cup because whomever comes out of the Eastern Conference after that knife fight with all these different players going to the Eastern Conference, they're going to be beaten up. The path is right there for someone from the Western Conference. So I think Dallas makes um, uh, an absolute ton of sense here. Patrick Kane and Tyler Sagan have history, too. They played in Switzerland together during the lockout. They're, they're pretty tight. That, that's the appeal right now if you're Patrick Kane is I can go play with Sagan. So the fact that Dallas wants that, too, it works. It fits. He just has to make that decision for himself. From Kyle Davidson's point of view, does a second-round pick get this done? God. It would be really – I mean, it, it's tough because, you know, you look at the Claude Giroux situation last year, which was almost identical, right? Same, same age guy. Yeah same situation lifelong icon and you know was waiting and waiting because he couldn't make this he couldn't make up his mind then he had complete control over where he went and the 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 return was pretty weak most flyers fans thought if you trade patrick Kane for a yeah. second round pick that's tough to swallow for hawks fans but if you don't he might leave for nothing in the in the summer so kyle davidson is going to do whatever he can to get the most out of it and if that's a second round pick that's a huge disappointment but if that's what he can get that's what he can yeah. get it's you know it's Kane has all the control here. How does the fan base feel about all of this? It's interesting. Like, like, I, you know, I think most of the fan base understands the situation and they get it and they think he's out the door. I think some of the fans are kind of mad at him for dragging his heels a little bit, which is, which is surprising to me. You know, they see the Tarasenko like, well, we could have gotten that first round pick. We could have gotten that return. But, you know, this is how it usually goes. Kane isn't really dragging his feet. Those trades were early. The Horvat trade was earlier than we're used to. The Tarasenko trade was earlier than we're used to. All these moves, the O'Reilly trade, earlier yeah. than we're used to. This stuff usually happens the week of the deadline. So I think Kane and Davidson mm-hmm. were all kind of thinking, we don't have to rush this decision. And now that these trades have gone down, well, you know, you're just sitting there like, you know, holding the bag, and you're wondering, did we wait too long? I think some fans resent Kane for waiting too long, which I think is unfair. Kane has earned every right to do whatever he wants here and to take as long as he wants. Totally. Uh, a lot of fans are desperate yeah. to keep him. They want him to stay. They want to see him finish his career as a Blackhawk and the, you know, get the statue and the, and the jersey retirement and all that while never playing for another team. There's some fans that want to trade him and then re-sign him over the summer. Uh, the fan base is torn because they know the, the, the best thing for the team might be to let him go. But who wants to let your – he's the best player in franchise history. He's the greatest American-born player of all time. It's really hard to let that go as a fan. Uh, it is. And, you know, I, one of the things, Mark, that I actually don't – Mark, we're going to give you a buzz back because your line's kind of crackling here a little bit. So we're just going to pod you down and going to give you a, uh, give you another phone call here and, 
and try to get you back on a cleaner line. It really is It really is intriguing because a lot of things to look at here. Um, as Mark mentions, and we've known this all along, um, he carries a no-move clause. He can dictate where he goes. This is not too dissimilar to what happened with the Flyers uh, in Claude Giroux last season. Um, there were a number of teams that were interested in Giroux, um, the Colorado Avalanche being one. And as any general manager will tell you, all you need are two teams and two teams bidding against each other. And all of a sudden, obviously, your return goes up and the trade looks more palatable. Problem with Claude Giroux was it seemed as if, you know, he made up his mind at All-Star when he was in Vegas and he kind of came back and said, Florida Panthers, that's the only place that I'm going to go. That's the only place I'm willing to waive my my no trade. Um, we have you back, Mark. And, and here, here's the question that, that, um, that I've been going back and forth on. And I asked this a lot with the Bo Horvat situation. Um, I really believe that you judge an organization not by how they bring you in, but by how they let you go. There are better mm-hmm. ways to do it. There's never a perfect way to do it. And I get that. So I want to make sure that that's out there. There's never a perfect way to say goodbye. But I really do believe you don't judge based on how they bring you in because that's all celebration and it's wonderful, but how they let you go. From the Chicago point of view, Kyle Davidson, the entire organization, how do you judge Chicago on how they've done this? You know, I, Kyle Davidson and Danny Wirtz, Jamie Faulkner, the, the CEO and president of the, of the team, they've all said the same thing. We're going to do right by Patrick Kane. They said it's completely his call. Whatever he wants to do, they're cool with. So, you know, they basically put all the pressure on him which I think, you know, that's the right way to handle it, right? You don't want to do anything against the player's wishes at this point. And they said the same thing with Jonathan Taves. They were going to make the call, and we're going to do whatever's right by the player. The interesting thing here is Kane wants to do right by the Blackhawks too, right? So he knows that the longer he waits and the more he engineers this, the, the, the worse the return the Blackhawks get. He said, I want this to be the best situation for both sides. So if he leaves, he wants the Blackhawks to get a first-round pick. He wants to help the team in the long run. And that's a tough situation for him to be in because – you know, you want to be selfish. It's your, it's your life. It's your career. It's your family that's getting uprooted and sent to Edmonton or Dallas or Carolina or Vegas or wherever. So you want to be selfish about yeah. it, but he really does want to do right by the Blackhawks, which puts him in an awkward position. It puts the team in the easy position. The team's like, hey, whatever you want, we're going to do. I think Kane's the one in the awkward position because it really means something to him that he doesn't screw over the Blackhawks here, which is an odd situation to be in. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it is uh, unless you start to consider things like legacy and how you're thought of in the marketplace. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, statues and 88 goes to the rafters and, you know, the Hall of Fame awaits Patrick Kane somewhere down the road. And yes, he's he's right there with, you know, Chris Chelios and Pat Lafontaine, like all of them, all the great American players uh, in the history of the game. And there are more coming. I, I guess when when you're if you're Patrick Kane and you're thinking about things like legacy, because I really do think that at this at, at this point of someone's career, when you've achieved as much as Patrick Kane has, you do think about legacy. So maybe from that yeah. point of view, Mark, maybe that makes total sense that he does want to do right by the organization because he knows that no matter what he does now, like he could go to the Dallas Stars and they could win the, the Stanley Cup and he could win the Conn Smythe Trophy. When his career is done, we're going to look back on 88 and say, oh yeah, Patrick Kane of the Chicago Blackhawks, he was great. And I think that's, I think that's a big thing for him. He's a huge legacy guy. He is a huge hockey history nerd. Like it was, it's very important. That's I think one of the reasons he's torn is not just that he loves Chicago, 
and his connection with the fans and the team, he wants to break every record in the Blackhawks record book. That has always mattered to him. He wants to pass Bobby Hall in goals. Yeah, I totally He wants to pass Stan Makita yes. in points. That matters to him more than it matters to your average player. He is the guy who – I remember when he, when he, he, he had the point streak – the, the, the American point streak, he broke the record, and he did it like on a, yeah. an empty netter with like four seconds to go in San Jose. He's like, yeah, well, you know, Wayne Gretzky and his uh, point streak, and like the 43rd game, he scored with 3.2 seconds left on, a, on an empty netter. <laughs> like, this is a guy who knows his hockey history. Uh, you know, he, he's like a walking encyclopedia of hockey. This matters to him. And I think that's really one of the things. Look, yeah. he's going to be a Blackhawk no matter what. He's going to get the statue. He's going to get the banner no matter what. doesn't matter what happens the rest of his career. His legacy in Chicago is secure. But he wants the numbers to back that up. He wants the proof that matters to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you about a couple of other players here as we move off the Patrick Kane page. Uh, we've wondered about you know, defensemen, albeit these are defensemen with a term, and I know everyone in, around the NHL, when you consider you know, what the salary cap looks like now and what the, uh, you know, what the Bally Sports situation might mean for hockey-related revenue, et cetera, and what it might mean for the cap, et cetera. Um, I know teams are you know, sometimes pull up a little bit shy when it comes to bringing in players that have term attached to their contract. But um, should we be looking at Murphy? Should we be looking at McCabe? And dare I say, is there any chance we should look at Seth Jones at all? (laughs) Well, I mean, everyone must go. Kyle Davidson is open for business. Um, McCabe (laughs) and Murphy, absolutely. Those are realistic. I mean, if if the Blackhawks retain salary on Jake McCabe, who's having a really good year on a really bad team, like he's looking like his old self again. If, if you could have Jake McCabe for two more years at $2 million, there's huge value in that. And the Blackhawks perspective, they're thinking, well, we should be able to get a first rounder if we do that. And I don't think that's going to happen, but it's out there. If you want Jake McCabe, if you think he's a guy who's going to solidify your defense, or Connor Murphy, who is very good for a number of years with the Blackhawks, he's, uh, yeah, I think he signed for three more years at 4.5, I want to say. So he's available too, and the Blackhawks are happy to eat contract at this point. They, they need help just getting to the salary for the next couple of years. So they are happy to eat any any money you can throw their way. They'll take it. So it's possible. Jones, God, I mean, that's you know we're talking about Eric Carlson's contract and the eleven point five for four more years, and he's playing at a hundred point pace, and we're wondering if anyone can take that. Seth Jones has seven more years at nine point five million. He's making more money than Kale McCarr. He's a good player. Everybody knows he's a good player, but is he that player into his yeah. mid thirties? That's tough, and I don't think the Blackhawks want to eat you know, $4.75 million for seven years because they expect to contend in those seven years at some point. So the, the Jones one, and he's got a yeah. full no-movement clause too, which he's not thrilled by this whole rebuild thing, but he came to Chicago for a reason. This was the team he wanted to come to. I think that's kind of a pipe dream to move yeah. Seth Jones at this point. You're right. That's an absolute huge ask. Uh, let me Let me finish up here by asking you about Max Domi. Um, and here's someone who's having a wonderful season with the Chicago Blackhawks, came in on the one-year contract, the show-me deal, and he's shown. Like, he's had, you know, you mentioned yeah. Jake McCabe on an otherwise bad team having a good season. He can say the same thing about Max Domi. I keep coming back to the same idea that Chicago has to ice someone next year. Like, they have to put some type of team together. Like, it's obvious that Domi likes it there. I would imagine the organization must like Domi, considering what he's he's done for the team this season. Are we looking at trade, or are we looking at a re-signing here for Max? If someone throws a first-rounder out there for, for Max Domi, they have to take it, right? They have to. But 
For Domi sure. wants yeah. to stay. It's pretty clear he wants to stay, and the Hawks love him. He's great in the room. He's a great guy. Everybody loves him. He's super upbeat. He's playing really well. You know, no matter where you put him in the lineup, he's succeeded. Uh, he's got, you know, up until Kane's explosion here, he was the leading scorer on the team. Uh, he's been he's been good, and he's he's a good fit. He's great with young guys. He keeps the mood light. He is a valuable piece in a, in a long-term rebuild like this. You need some guys like that, some veterans with some character and some personality, right? And he wants to stay. So I don't think anything's going to happen unless someone knocks, you know, Davidson's socks off. And I'm not sure someone's going to offer a first-rounder for Max Domi. So uh, I, I think that ideally yeah. he stays. And even if he leaves, I could see him coming back. He really likes it in Chicago. He seems very comfortable. He likes to fit. He likes the team. He likes the city. He seems like a natural long-term fit here. Uh, it's awesome. Because, uh, listen, he's like, whether it's, you know, Arizona, Montreal, like we all, Columbus, we all know the Carolina last year. We really stuck it to the Bruins. Um, we, we all know what Max Domi has gone through and where he's gone trying to find the fits. And you always like it when yeah. a player finds a, a a place they can call home. And it seems like Domi has really found uh, a home in Chicago. Mark, uh, this is always a delight having you on. Uh, great catching up again. Uh, you be well. There is never a boring day in Chicago. Uh, and not just hockey, but all of sports. Uh, enjoy it, and we'll check back soon. Thanks so much for this, Mark. Hope, hoping for some boring days in March 4th and beyond. I don't think you're going to get it. Not in Chicago. No chance. <laughs> uh, Mark Lazarus right. from The Athletic. Uh, the Tave statement yesterday uh, as he you know, discusses you know, uh, the symptoms of long COVID and chronic immune response syndrome. So uh, we hope very much for a return to health for Jonathan Taves and hope for um, that rehabilitation and that health to lead to a return on the ice. I don't think any of us want Jonathan Taves to finish his career that way. I don't think Jonathan Taves wants to finish his career that way and we're all curious what Patrick Kane's decision will be because as I just talked to Mark about this is very much in his hands a couple of games starting here in a couple of moments around the NHL Boston Bruins facing off against the Ottawa Senators the Florida Panthers taking on the Anaheim Ducks watch that one in a couple of moments on Sportsnet we'll come back with the random player of the day hint it's a goalie and Shannon Goldman of the Athletic Bubble Teams and what they need next on The Merrick Show. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Shannon Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Going to stop by here in a couple of moments. Gary Galley at the bottom of the hour. It is the Jets and the Rangers coming up later on on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Uh, looking forward to that one. We know Winnipeg is one of those teams that I wonder about come trade deadline time as well. And you wonder about Timo Meyer there, No. And you wonder about this team and their, you know, their window closing with players like Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler on expiring contracts in a couple of years. To say nothing of Pierre-Luc Dubois, and we all know which way he wants to head. Montreal. <clears throat> Excuse me, sir. <clears throat> uh, Winnipeg and New York coming up tonight on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Meantime, Matt Marchese is aboard again for the random player of the day. How are you, Matty? How was your weekend? How was your dad uh, weekend? It was, uh, it's the same. Um, it's, it's like Groundhog Day, actually. It really is. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's awesome. It's the best. Well, you can describe it as that. The lack of sleep, I wouldn't describe as the best, but it is what it is. Like it's being a parent, right? No, dude. Like when when you're no when you're a new parent, the the one thing you you learn really fast is this is the most tired yet most happy I've ever been in my life. It's a really weird space that you occupy in your brain, and for those that haven't had that experience, it's really tough. It's really tough to explain them. It's really tough to explain it to them, but then once they go through it, they're like, okay, now I get the idea of being really exhausted and really happy. I get it now. Yeah. But you have to go through the experience. 100%. Anyhow, I'm glad you're exhausted and happy. Hey, is it yes. your birthday today? It is. You're working on your birthday on family day? We work from home. I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> what monster? It's what enough. monsters we work for? It's your birthday <laughs> and it's family day, and you're working. Oh, man. That's okay. I'm not worried. All right. Okay. Player of the day, then. Random style. What do we got? All right. We have a former goaltender, as you mentioned, uh, was a, a member of the Philadelphia yep. Flyers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, Colorado Rockies, um, and had some fantastic goalie masks he is dougie favel and this one sent in by blair highland doug favel uh i love talking about doug favel because some of my favorite stories come in and around the teams that doug favel was part of uh born in st Catharines, you mentioned the teams that he uh, that he played for one of the interesting things about doug favel is he is the only player maddie in the history of the nhl to be involved in both the 1967 expansion and the 1979 expansion drafts. The only player um, to be in both. Um, first of all, was an elite lacrosse player uh, growing up. Played pro in, I want to say, 1968 with the uh, National Lacrosse Association um, and the Philadelphia Wings as well in the Ontario uh, or the National Lacrosse League. So a really great crossover um, lacrosse player. Uh, he played on this Niagara Falls Flyers team that I never get sick of talking about because of one specific incident and one specific Memorial Cup, and that's 1965. So both Doug Favell and Bernie Perrant, Yes, the two will come up again in a couple of moments. Their histories are interlinked. Um, they're the two netminders for um, for the Niagara Falls Flyers. 1965, it is the Niagara Falls Flyers facing off against the Edmonton Oil Kings. That is your Memorial Cup final, best of seven. And it's a particularly rough and at times nasty series, specifically game three. So the venue shifts to the Edmonton Gardens. And uh, it's a rough game. Players have already been tossed out. And Derek Sanderson sucker punches Bob Falkenberg in what is one of the most horrific acts I have ever seen on the ice. I have video of it. Um, it's ugly. It is he Falkenberg is literally and he's a captain of the Oil Kings, went on to play for the Detroit Red Wings. Um, standing at the blue line as the brawl is winding down, and out of nowhere, Sanderson throws one at him from the cellar. And he's out on impact. He hits the ice. He's still holding his stick as he hits the ice on his back, and Sanderson gets on him and fills him in with a few more. Anyway, that kicks off another part of this brawl. It's so bad, Maddie. It's so bad that cops hit the ice, right? I'm, have you ever seen a scene when police officers hit the ice and are chasing teenagers around with billy clubs? 
Um, I remember showing this video to Bob McGill once. He's from Edmonton. And he told me that his dad was in the stands that night for that game three at the Memorial Cup and always told Bob about it, but he never really believed it was as bad as his dad said until he saw the video. Now, the video is is, is a tough one to watch because Falkenberg is out. And as the story goes, as oh, first of all, they're trying to get the kids to break up the fights and the kids won't stop. So the cops hit the ice and they're still fighting. Now, one of the one of the grand old stories around Canada, and this started in the Maritimes, um, the way that you used to have to break up brawls was you played what was the national anthem at the time, God Save the Queen. And the law of the land was when you heard God save the queen, no matter what you were doing, you had to stop and stand at attention. This is how they would break up brawls in the Maritimes, where they were particularly violent and vicious. They would have to play God save the queen, and that was the only way you could get anyone to stop really doing anything. It's kind of like quasi-policing. And the interesting thing, when, when I, I've gone back a few times to watch this video, you can hear as the cops hit the ice, man, i got to show you this video, as the cops hit the ice, that in the background at the old Edmonton Gardens, they are indeed playing God Save the Queen. No one is paying attention to it. Anyway, they drag Sanderson off the ice. Now, there were members of the Edmonton Oil Kings alumni who were there at the game. And a couple of them grabbed Sanderson, uh, pulled him into a dressing room or a janitor's room or some type of room. Someone hit him over the head with a goalie stick, okay? Knocked him out, and then they beat him up while he was knocked unconscious and threw him back into the hallway. Do you know who one of those people was? Oil Kings alumni. No, but this story is fantastic. <laughs> you ready for this one? Yep. Glenn Sather. Oh, boy. Glenn Sather was one of those people that grabbed him into the room and beat him until he was unconscious. Anyway, that's a roundabout story, but Doug Favell was part of that team. Um Favell, uh, much like Tony Esposito at the time and Glenn Hall previous, was one of the early adopters of the uh, the butterfly style of uh, of net minding. Um, I mentioned that he was selected in the expansion draft. He was taken from the Boston Bruins roster to the Philadelphia Flyers. Bernie Perrant was as well. But then Bernie Perrant was dealt to the Toronto Maple Leafs, subsequently dealt back to the Philadelphia Flyers in exchange for Doug Favell. But in that brief period of time when he was the number one netminder for the Philadelphia Flyers, one great story emerges and endures was Halloween 1970. I believe it was a game against the Los Angeles Kings. Now, Jerry Cheevers was the first to actually put mar- markings or paint on the goalie mask. Um, but the Philadelphia Flyers trainers thought it would be funny around Halloween if they painted Doug Favell's mask orange like a pumpkin for Halloween. And that was the very first fully painted Goalie mask. A little while later, he went to that starburst, the white and orange uh, that we saw with the Philadelphia Flyers. But if you've ever seen pictures of Doug Favell in the bright orange mask, that's from a Halloween prank with the Philadelphia Flyers um, training staff. Uh, Doug Favell was the goaltender of record. He was in net when Red Berenson scored his six goals. I think he also hit a crossbar 
in that St. Louis Philadelphia game, November the seventh, nineteen sixty-eight, and as I mentioned, he was the only player who was taken in both the sixty-seven and nineteen seventy-nine expansion drafts. Uh, in seventy-nine, he was a member of the Colorado Rockies. Uh, they left him exposed, and Edmonton claimed him, but Favell decided to retire. That's what I know about Doug Favell, today's random player of the day. Can you color that in with anything, Maddie? Uh, just a quick, just a quick aside. So he is a, a member of the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. Uh, you talked about how great of a player he was. Mm-hmm. Um, that Niagara Falls mm-hmm. team also had 15 players that played at least 100 games in either the WHA or the NHL. That's pretty impressive. Well, this the 65 team. Yep. Yeah, I know that was a, that was a powerhouse, an absolute powerhouse team. They lost that game, by the way, that game three, but that was the only game they lost in the Memorial Cup uh, in the Memorial Cup final. I think the last two games, like eight to three and eight to one, like Niagara Falls, like they were, they were they were next level. They were next level great. And that's you know a lot of those players ended up as, as you mentioned, fifteen of them playing in the NHL. The Lions' share of them facing off in, uh, with the uh, with the Boston Bruins. Uh, for your chance to uh, to name and choose a random player of the day, it's pretty simple. Uh, one comes through your head, get off to the email machine, send it in, jmshow at sportsnet.ca, and we will look to get that player's biography on the program here. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Gary Galley from the NHL on Sportsnet at Hockey Night in Canada. It's the Jets and the Rangers. Uh, in the meantime, here to have a look at bubble teams. Uh, whether it's the Buffalo Sabres, maybe you consider the Calgary Flames, maybe you'll have a look at the New York Islanders, maybe you have a look at the Detroit Red Wings and what they do and do uh, do indeed need. Uh, she is Shana Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Shana, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Uh, good. Sorry, I kind of blathered on and we're getting you on late because I was going on about Doug Favell and the old-timey hockey stories and uh, and, and I apologize. But nonetheless, we will... We will soldier on. Hey, by the way, <clears throat> if I just say random player right now, who's the first player that pops into your mind? Oh my god, I was having random this player anytime, anyhow. Random uh, player, Brad pick Boys. one in your brain right now. Okay, Brad Boys, we're gonna put that one down. Maddie, let's get Brad Boys here uh, on the uh, program. Brad Boys, ex of the Erie Otters, okay, an ex of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and was almost part of the Tampa Bay Lightning Toronto Maple Leafs trade for Vinny LeCavalier once upon a time. Um, Had so many we'll good do something on Brad Boys down the line. Brad Boys did? I always thought that Brad, Brad Boys was an underrated player. I really liked Brad Boys. I had a lot of time for him. Yeah. he. So on Hockey Viz, there's a tool. It's like random play of the day, and you just click it, and it brings you to a random season of a random player. And I think he was it recently someone – you know, came up on my timeline, someone clicked into him and, you know, he had time with like Huberto and John Tavares and players like that. And you're like, hmm, that's, that's, you know, a little bit more than you'd expect for like, uh, he's a little better than a depth player, but yeah, he, he definitely played with a lot of good players and worked well with them. Uh, He did. Hey, but before we get to some of the bubble teams and what they might be looking at and what they might need and your thoughts on them in general, what did you make of the blockbuster over the weekend? The, uh, the Ryan O'Reilly deal from St. Louis to, Toronto and are you uh, are you aboard uh, are you aboard my train and suggesting or wondering if now St. Louis has all the pieces necessary for a Jacob Chikrin deal? Oh, that's a hot take. I like that. Uh, I think a Jacob Chicken deal would be really good for St. Louis. I still think they need to move a couple more pieces to get a little more back because they're going to move a lot of assets out to bring in a player like Chikrin. But uh, I would like that mm-hmm. for them if they need anything. It's a good defenseman, a good top pair defenseman. Um, 
for the yeah. O'Reilly aspect of it. I really do like the trade. I think it's it's something to really bolster teams middle six. Like they he can be the three C and play that shutdown role. And I think he'll have more support playing in that way in Toronto than he did in St. Louis the last, you know, year or so. I think if they keep him up with Marner and Tavares, you're gonna see him play to his strengths because, you know, in St. Louis we saw him playmaking really well this season and no one could finish his chances. And some of it was like the quality of line mates he had. So I think he's in a good position to succeed. I think he's a lot better than we saw of him in St. Louis. I am a little bit curious about have his defensive uh, strengths weakened at all and something I'm going to look into this week, actually. So I'm kind of curious to dig in and see a little bit more and see if we see differences with Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say that St. Louis is a bubble team because they're going the other way, but I don't think that St. Louis wants to go the other way for, for very much longer. And, um, you know, St. Louis is a fascinating squad to me. Um, even going back to 67 expansion where they went to the Stanley cup final for three years, but that's because, you know, half the league, you know, the, the, the one conference was all the established NHL teams and the other conference was all the expansion teams. So someone had to come out of it. Uh, it was St. Louis. They never won a single game in, in three years, but they were the ones that got to the dance. Um, but St. Louis has never been a team that's gone through, any type of classic strip it right down, like what we're seeing the Chicago Blackhawks go through, take it right down to the nuts and bolts and rebuild. And I don't think this one's going to be that rebuild either. I think it's going to be, you know, players that are around the ages of, you know, 24, 25, 26. And that's why I look at the Blues, Shane, and I say they have the three first rounders this year. They have young players and neighbors and Joel Hofer, the netminder, and Scott Prunovich, and maybe just maybe. We should wonder if St. Louis uh, ends up making the uh, the Chikrin deal, but I, I mean, I don't think this team is going to go through any prolonged rebuild. To me, it might be this year and next year, and then they're back swinging for the fences. Agree, disagree. Agree. I think if if Thomas and Kyrie were twenty and twenty one, I would say tear down a little bit further, but they still want to maximize those. You know, they just signed those contracts and they have good players. I think they might need to move another piece or two this year and get a little back more. And it's, it's disappointing because yeah. it, they could have done this at any time in the last, say, three years at the deadline. Just step back, traded one or two players, taking the assets, flipped them, something they've done before. And because they didn't, they're in this position. But I, I agree with you. I don't think they need to tear it down to the studs like Chicago did. I think that they can make this work. But it's going to take a lot of creativity. And their front office, we haven't seen be as innovative as others. So if they can start adopting that and finding mm. those market inefficiencies and find their own Carter Verhagen, cheap players like that on the market, you know, on the free agency market, who end up becoming bonafide top six players, they're going to be in a really good position. Any of those types of players come to mind? Like, yeah, any of those types of players that were, you mentioned Carter Verhagen, like that's a that's a genius find. Like that's that's brilliant. Before that, whether it was, you know, Jonathan so comes to mind as well now with uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Are there any of that cloth that come to mind for you right away? Like that that player that's, you know, underappreciated, undervalued, and, and everyone seems to be missing the boat on? Like I was making the point on Hockey Night this weekend that as far as netminders go, it looks like Jonas Corposalo might be that guy. The way that he's played going back to, to the beginning of December. Um, but are there any forwards or defensemen that you think that everybody's missing? the boat on right now that's a good question um you know what i wonder if someone like i, I don't know if he goes down because like marcheso and verhage were like legitimate fringe players it felt it felt like before a team recognized how good they are so i, I think i need to dig in a little bit more to find like yeah. the perfect example 
But I do think that there's definitely players out there who like the boat's been missed on and it's players like even like Dante Fabro. I feel like he's kind of fading out with the Predators and I'd like to see another Mm. team go, no, 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 we see his value and we can make him work. But I think he's like starting at a higher point than some of the others were. You know, you know who I wonder about? I'm, I'm glad you brought... It's funny because I was just talking about Dante Fabro over the weekend because I think we're all wondering, okay, what's Nashville going to do here? Um, it's been a really tough go here for the Preds. Maybe they've just, you know, put off the inevitable, you know, whistling by the graveyard for the past couple of years. We all know where this thing is, is headed right now. Um, Dante Fabro is an interesting one because if you go back to the, uh, the Austin Matthews draft, the Buffalo draft, I mean, obviously Boston ended up going with Charlie McAvoy. Uh, but the discussion was, are we going to take McAvoy or are we going to take Dante Fabro? If we're looking around for teams and I know they're in, you know, uh, pretty hot and heavy with, uh, with Gavrikov right now of Columbus, but of all the teams that are out there, that have really done, you know, deep dives and research and really considered Dante Fabro, I've kind of always wondered if he ever ends up back in Boston. I know it's different regime and different G. I, I, I get all that, but I've always wondered about Fabro and the Bruins, but I've wondered about Fabro going somewhere else to begin with. Yeah, I think Nashville is a team that, like St. Louis, didn't at the right time step back and fix things. And, you know, it was like UC Soros going on a run saved them so many times, but it masked what was wrong with them. And this year, he has been incredible, one of the best goalies in the league. And it doesn't even matter the team's that bad around him. And, you know, they have their three core pieces and they're older. It's So it's a little bit different than St. Louis. But I, I don't know how you fix this without tearing it down. And the problem for them is they don't have a ton of pending free agents that you could see flip these players. And, you know, I think they need to just move someone that's going to bring back a big return. It's going to have to break up someone that, you know, you wouldn't expect a contender to move, uh, you know, to move. I'm sorry, a rebuilding team to move necessarily. And Fabro is someone that you would think Mm -hmm. could be part of the solution, but I just think they need the assets back. So Boston actually wasn't the team that came to mind for me. It was Buffalo. You know, that's the team I look at and go, Uh... I, I think, I think, you know, like they could use a young defenseman. I think, Yokoharu has played a little bit higher than he should. You know, he's right-handed. He's a little bit more on the defensive side. They have the offensive side of it. If they could kind of, he's not a reclamation project, but if they could like retool his value and get Mm -hmm. him to play to his strengths, like he would interest me as some, like a fourth defenseman on the right side. What do you make of the... Let's pause here on the Sabres. Uh, listen, I've spent a lot of time on this program talking about the Sabres. I get it. It sounds like Sabres lunch sometimes. I understand. Um, but I just find them one of the most fascinating teams right now. Um, I'm of a couple of minds. One, I do understand the Kevin Adams philosophy of, you know what, this is uh, this is great, but it's a year earlier than we expected, maybe even two years earlier and we know that development isn't a straight line. It's a bunny hop. And we may end up taking a step back next year or two. Who knows? So let's maybe stick with our plan here. But I also understand the idea of, um, you know, trying to get into the playoffs. <laughs> like if you're Terry Pergula, the owner here is like, okay, like I understand your timeline. But, you know, there's a, a new reality here. You know, Maynard Keynes, the famous economist, when he was, you know, caught flip-flopping on a on a on a on a, on a situation, uh, famously said, "Well, when the facts change, I change my mind. What pray tell do you do?" And I understand that. Like, I get it. Like, the facts, to be blunt, for the Buffalo Sabers have changed, and I think it's only, you know, I, th- I think rigid minds 
I understand sticking to a plan and being resolute, but when things change all around you and you've been given these amazing gifts this year from a Buffalo Sabres team, don't you have to, as Maynard Keynes once said, as I'm bringing a, you know, an economist as a reference point from a century ago onto a hockey show, changed his mind because that was the right thing to do. Okay, nerd. Um, <laughs> yes. So that's rich. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm Buffalo, I'm not going for rentals. I think that's the wrong path to take. I think that they go for the players yeah. that have a year and a half left on their contracts. That's why, I like Fabro, he's not a rental. He could be a long-term piece. Yeah. If I'm the Sabers and I'm thinking add to help us this year compete and help next year, ideally push back into the playoffs with a little bit more certainty versus this year being, you know, the fringe team that might just miss out. Two players come to mind. I look at Nino Niederreiter. I think that they could use a good top six forward. I think for, I think on a contender, he's a middle six player. I think on a team like Buffalo, he might be a little closer to top six caliber because they don't have that much strength. I think he could help without taking a roster spot from someone who maybe deserves it, but kind of like ensure everyone else is slotted more appropriately based on their skill set. The other forward I look at, is someone like Colin Blackwell who can help their bottom six. And he has, you know, he's another player that's not just a rental. Their penalty kill needs the help very desperately. Something interesting with them is they don't have that same format that other teams do where it's, this is your bonafide top pair penalty kill unit. And here's your bonafide second uh, pair penalty kill unit that goes out on the fly and can disrupt play. It feels like they're starting to figure it out and maybe tuck in, Cousins can be a part of that second penalty kill unit. I think they need someone really good for that top unit to lead the way to get them started in a good position. And I think Blackwell's a player to help because he's a good disruptor. Okay, so let me drill down on one more team here. I'm glad you mentioned the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, the other one that we're wondering about here in the Eastern Conference, and if you look at the, you know, if you look at the winning percentage, it looks great right now for Detroit. Um, the path is there. The math is there. The problem is you just have to win your games, um, and that's the hard part, and I get it. Uh, what should Detroit do? Like, you know, they're kind of, again, at this moment, because I know there have been conversations uh, about Tyler Bertuzzi previous, but right now it seems as if they're content as they make a playoff push to essentially use Tyler Bertuzzi as their own rental and then see what happens at the end. Tyler Bertuzzi, we can understand why, you know, is pretty, you know, pretty itchy to get back in the playoffs. He hasn't seen the postseason since he played with Grand Rapids going back to 2017. When he was in the postseason in 2017, he was flat out the best player in the American Hockey League, full stop. What do you see Detroit doing here? Um, knowing full well that Steve Eisman and that organization will give us about zero hints as to what they uh, what they may have planned. I don't ever count out Steve Eisman to make a big move. For me, I would like to see them spice up the Timo Meyer conversation. I think we hear a lot about the Devils, rightfully so. We hear a lot about the Hurricanes. I don't count out a team like De- Detroit because I think they recognize what they need and it is another high-end winger. Even if they were to keep Bertuzzi, they don't have someone at the caliber of Meyer. They have Lucas Raymond, who they hope is going to get there, and there's good reason to think so. There's Dylan yeah. Larkin, who's a really good player. And then if you could add a Timo Meyer, that'd be so good to have, even if the two of them never play together because you have two volume shooters. For me, I want to see them really mix it up because that's a team that could afford him now and in the future. Um, otherwise, 
I would say a backup goalie would help. Uh, I like a James Reimer-like player. I think he does a pretty good job managing chaos, which is kind of what you have to do in Detroit. Yes, they've gotten better, but no, they're not perfect. So I think he would be an interesting option. They don't need someone of the Vamelkas because I think Huso is fine as a starter. I just think they need a better backup. So I would look at Reimer and Meyer as the two players. Um, the other thing is a left-handed defenseman. So Ben Sherratt could play on the third pair because I don't think he's cut out for a top four role there. It could be as simple mm. as, you know, moving Mata up the depth chart and pulling Sherratt down and just getting a righty for that third pair instead of Jordan Osterley. But that's, you know, where I go right now. What about Jonas Corposalo with Detroit? I... I'm not as high on him. I am not, I, you know, I, it's tough because it, he hasn't always had the best defense around him. Um, I would go for a Rima before Corpusalo if I'm Detroit, but I can see the appeal because he's someone who is used to playing behind a team without defensive structure. So you might feel a little bit more confident because some goalies just don't react well to, you know, like high volume shoot, you know, shooting all the time. And he's someone who has become very accustomed yeah. to it. Um, let me ask you about the Islanders and the news today is not good. Uh, Matthew Barzell out indefinitely lower body injury. I, I never want to say that's totally going to write off a team um, that has, you know, as many, you know, quality players, albeit perhaps underperforming uh, quality players, but the, what does this do for the Islanders and their hopes of making the playoffs? Does it completely wipe them out? Like, I know that, you know, the Islanders are sort of, you know, middling along at a sort of 500 clip right now. Like, they're not the Washington Capitals who are completely falling out of this thing. Um, and they're not, you know, Detroit that are trying to make it really spicy. They're kind of in between the two. Now you have the Matthew Barzal news. What happens here with the Islanders? Um, I think the Islanders need to do what they should have done last year, and that's step back and move a couple pieces and get some assets back and then proceed from there. Move the Mayfields, move the Varlamovs, move the Prezes, get a couple assets back. You know, Mayfield is is good when he has a puck mover on his side. He's physical. He has playoff experience. He's very cheap. So things like that could get them a good return, even if they try to bring him back as a, you know, a free agent, which, you know, you can't bet on that, obviously. But I just think... They could take those assets and then they could move them over the summer and try to find a way to bring in a legitimate top six winger. You don't have to worry about the Bailey contract. Mm -hmm. Then Wallstrom, you have healthy next year. Cause I think you're not just replacing Barzal right now. You still have to replace Wallstrom. They, and even with that perfectly healthy lineup, they still, I think need another high end piece for that top six. They have so many similar type players that they need someone different. And I think Wallstrom and Barzal, those two players, they're different. You know, you have the volume shooter at, fully skilled player and then Barzell, you know, elite in transition. He's not playing a chip and chase game and he's, a, you know, one of the best playmakers. Uh, I think even after the Horvath trade, they weren't good enough. I think they need to be honest about where they are and how to maximize the next two years of their core instead of pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off and just hurting themselves in the process. Um, one final one for you. I uh, was talking about this earlier. The Western Conference, very much up for grabs. And nobody seems to, at least right now, 
um, want to help themselves. All the players are going from west to east, and we'll see about Timo Meyer if he ends up with the New Jersey Devils, or perhaps uh, you know, uh, uh, as you just hinted to a second ago, you know, certainly would be intriguing if he ended up on the Detroit Red Wings. But either way, like the trend is, great players from the west are all heading east. The Western Conference is a jump ball. Based on what you look at right now, who has the best chance to come out? If we do believe, um, and we'll see what happens with Kale McCarr here, although Landeskog is returning as well, um, if you believe that the Avalanche have taken a step backwards, who do you like in the West, Shana? Who do you like? I still like Colorado. We haven't seen them fully healthy. I think that there's going to be less concern about the 2C position with Landeskog back because that line should have some, you know, it's you have Lekkinen, Rantanen, Landeskog, Nichushkin, pick your combinations. One one goes to McKinnon, one goes to the 2C, and all of a sudden you're not worried so much who's playing down the middle because you have elite wingers either way you slice it. So uh, the McCarr thing obviously is a big one, especially because they're already dealing with the Eric Johnson injury. But I think with a healthy forward group, they can focus on the back end, and they're completely fine. I'm not worried about them at all. Um, I like the Dallas Stars. They have one of the best cores in the league. They get the most out of it, financially speaking, and from – you know, just an on-ice perspective, they are so good. I do think they need another uh, good forward. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the Western teams, they're not performing at the same rate as the Eastern teams, and that's something to keep in mind. But, you know, for a lot of them, for the Winnipegs, the Dallases, the Colorados, it's what can you tweak, not what do you have to fully redo. The Jets can get another forward Mm -hmm. for the middle six. That's good. If the Stars can do the same, I think they might be okay too. Um, but I, I really do like the avalanche and I'm, you know, I'm curious about if Seattle does anything, you know, do they do something, another forward plus a healthy Burakovsky for the playoffs? Is that in the works for them? You know, it's, it's interesting, but it, it's the teams who are kind of sliding out that I think are the ones that need to do the most, you know, it's the Minnesotas that it's, who are you going to acquire to compete with the Dallas's and Colorado's? Cause those are the teams I think standing above the rest. Okay, listen, you know Islanders fans. You're right there. You know Islanders fans. So we get the Matthew Barzell news about, what, an hour and a half ago. What do you think has been trending for the last 90 minutes? Um, hmm. Fire I'll, I'll give you a hint. It rhymes, with JT, it, 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 it rhymes with JT Miller. Oh, my God. JT Miller? <laughs> Are they? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> if... if... Any general manager that helps out the Canucks and welcomes that onto their team, I don't know what you're thinking. You know, that's a contract you have to let the Canucks just kind of rot with and say, sorry, we're not helping you unless somehow you're getting something so incredible with it, which should never be the case. He should be the prize of whatever a trade is. But that contract, I, that is, oh no, that is, that is not good uh, at all. That is a whopper. Uh, Listen, great stuff as always. Uh, Continued success on the Too Many Men podcast and the great work at The Athletic. You're a a treat. Thanks as always for stopping by. Thanks for having me. The great Shana Goldman from The Athletic. Um, Interesting. Hmm. Meyer to Detroit. Like, Tell me that Meyer out of nowhere to Detroit is not the most Steve Eiserman move of all time, right? 
Not saying it happens. Just a Monday afternoon, throwing it around with Shayna. It's all good. Uh, Going to throw it around here with Gary Galley here in a couple of moments. New York Rangers and the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, that is up for grabs on Rogers Monday Night Hockey this evening. Uh, we'll get on that page with uh, with Galley here in a couple of moments. Uh, let's get a quick update here. Do we have any scores? We got oh we got one nothing Anaheim. They lead the Florida Panthers. Uh, still goalless between. The Ottawa Senators and the Boston Bruins. Who's got the goal for Anaheim? Mason McTavish. Future captain of the Anaheim Ducks. Future number one center of the Anaheim Ducks. Mason McTavish. Uh, Kulikoff and Jones get the assist on that one. one nothing Anaheim. Uh, right now they're on the power play. Uh, facing off against the Florida Panthers. Gary Galley coming up in moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Galley's next. Back in a moment. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up later on this evening, it is uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Winnipeg Jets facing off against the New York Rangers. Only a couple of games on the go around the NHL this evening. Uh, four games going on this afternoon. Uh, Gary Galley from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada joins me. Gary, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, a lot of headlines around the New York Rangers, and I don't think we're going to stop anytime soon until March 3rd hits. I still think there's another shoot to drop for the Rangers, probably one uh, with Vitaly Kravtsov. Um, not sure where that ends up, but I, I think that you know Chris Drury still isn't done tinkering with his team, but... When you consider the Vladimir Tarasenko move, and that's been a home run. When you look at the Tyler Mott move, who he brings back, comma, again to the Rangers mix, what do you make of uh, the New York Rangers and their moves in advance of the deadline? Well, the crazy thing is, is is the type of run the Rangers have been on. I mean, you know, they've added these mm-hmm. pieces, as you've just noted, but, I mean, this team has been playing well. Uh, you know, you got to go, you know, go back to the, to, to after, well, the first two months of the season, they kind of got off a little bit on, you know, on the, on a rocky road a little bit. They were 11, nine and two in the first two months. So not the greatest for the Rangers, for the team that they had, but since December to, to now, they're like 22, five and five. This team has been on an incredible role. They haven't lost in 10 games and I don't know if they can do anything wrong right now. Uh, so it's going to be the Jets are going to have their hands full. But as you know, Jeff, when you pick up pieces, you've got to do your homework so well because when you have a good team to start with and you're adding uh, players, a player of Tarasenko's uh, abilities and, and where he was on the totem pole in St. Louis and where he has to fit in in New York, you know, you have a player that intakes oxygen. He takes oxygen from what the room had before. He takes in his, his fair share yeah. of his own oxygen. So you've got to find a place for him. And um, so I don't know if everything is fit and glued together for Gerard Gallant where he exactly likes it, but I think they have time to mess with that. They made this trade early. They have time to figure it all out. Uh, This is a Gerard Gallant team. They play like a lot like he wants them to, which is if you ever played against Gerard, you know, it's not a lot of fun. And um, so they play hard. They play heavy. They come at you. And, uh, you know, I think a big body like Tarasenko and a guy with a little sandpaper like Mott and a guy that you know, you know he's going to fit in and you know he's going to do the job. 
uh, that you're getting him for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they've done, Drury's done a nice job. And yeah, I think there is one more little tinker they're going to do. But certainly, um, if Shesterkin can, can, can get to that place where he's been and where, he, where we know he can get, now that he's got that bit of playoff experience, you know, uh, and a bit of ups and downs of the roller coaster of the playoffs that happened last year versus Pittsburgh, uh, where some nights it was just off the charts great. Next night, couldn't stop a puck. I mean, it was just up and down, but he figured it out, and uh, all that's going to help him moving into the playoffs this year. I, I think they're going to be a dangerous element come playoff time. You know, it, it is interesting with Mott, not unlike what happened with the Maple Leafs and Nolachari. You know, um, the Maple Leafs were looking to bring Nolachari in last summer. Uh, they couldn't make it work for cap purposes, um, and now they can in the Ryan O'Reilly deal. You know, I, I, it sounds like the Rangers wanted to bring Mott in, similar situation at the beginning of the year. It didn't work out for the salary cap, and they've had to, to wait, and then eventually they, they got their guy back in the mix. Um, I, I do wonder with, with Tarasenko, sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen both uh, in, in your time in the NHL. Sometimes the bring in one of your star players' buddies works, and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I think this is... This is a shot in the arm, certainly for the top six for the New York Rangers, and it's also one that puts a smile on Artemi Panarin's face. Um, I'm sure you've seen it work, and I'm sure you've seen it not work. When you bring in one of your star players' pals, and I don't want to sound frivolous about Tarasenko because he's an elite-level player, um, but that doesn't always work, Gary, does it? It, it? it doesn't always work. And the other one is when you go back to your hometown. You know, That's the other one where you get a player yeah. who's from that hometown yeah. – and everyone thinks, oh, boy, this is going to be great. And then it, it doesn't work out. And, and, it, and it's, it's just strange because you think it just would automatically. But, you know, Panarin was going to get it one yeah. way or the other. If it was Patrick Kane, he was getting a good buddy that he had incredibly good chemistry with. And Kane had some of his best years alongside Panarin, the bread man. And then, of course, Tarasenko's friendship with Panarin. So, you know, when you go down the list of things, you know, which one do you go for? Which one do you think is the best one? I think they went with a guy who's recently won a Stanley Cup, a guy that's a little bigger in stature and size, is going is gonna to be a little harder to play against, maybe a little bit stronger, but also a guy that they felt like was healthy and 100% ready to go, where there was some, there was some talk around that, you know, that Kane potentially had a hip injury or some injury to his hip that maybe was bothering him. But yeah. I can tell you uh, that a lot of players play this game with hip problems. Uh, a lot of players play this game with nagging injuries that don't just last one year. There are guys that play. I mean, I played over over two and three seasons with some things bothering me that never quite went away. But, you know, you, you take care of them in the summer, you strengthen around them, and then they just seem to claw back in and get going. Not enough to take you out of a lineup or not mm-hmm. enough that in an important game you can't play but just enough to kind of bother you. But so I didn't think the injury was that big a deal with Kane, but uh, maybe the Rangers thought so. And, and Tarasenko, uh, a shooter, a sniper, uh, Panarin uh, is, uh, as we know, is the, is the passer and um, wired to pass. Yeah. And it's a good combination. If, and if they can get chemistry going, we know how good that third line was in the playoffs last year, that kid line. I mean, Lafreniere oh. played some of his best hockey as a Ranger. Heedle was insanely yep. off the charts good. And Kako really started to play with that big frame. And they became, and they were physical too. They were a tough line to play against. They reminded me back in the day when we played Edmonton in the finals in that kid line with Jelena Graves and Murphy. They were, man, they were just yeah. like a wrecking ball out there. They were so good. So I, I like the Rangers. I think they're going to be a real tough opponent in that 
coming out of that uh, division, and I think they could challenge easily to come out of the Eastern Conference. You know, and, and the Winnipeg Jets are fascinating, too, and I, if we have some time, I'd like to get your thoughts on, on Jacob Truba, who, you know, both markets now, obviously, he's a former Winnipeg Jet and now playing with the Rangers, one of the most unique defensemen in the NHL who has the ability to step up uh, and really send a message. Um, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, like if you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, you're looking at, you know, you have one more year of Wheeler, one more year of Shifley. We all know what's going to happen here with Pierre-Luc Dubois at the end of um, at the end of, of this contract. Is it sort of incumbent upon you, given how, you know, this team is right in there with the Dallas Stars. This team is right in there amongst the, the top teams in the Western Conference. Is this the one year where, you know, you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, general manager of the Winnipeg Jets, you say... I don't know where this team is going to be in a couple years. We're really good right now. Everything is working. This is the year we really have to go for it, whether it's trying to bring in Timo Meyer, even if we can't resign him or don't want to pay the $10 million qualifier. Maybe we just need to take our shot because, you know, I don't know if we're going to get lightning in a bottle again while we still have these guys under contract. And and the one name that you can't negate in the guy who is in his prime and a guy that um, you can't replace, Connor Hellebuck. I mean, he only yes. is going to be Connor Hellebuck for so long. And Connor Hellebuck plays a yeah. lot. He is they, they use a bulwark for them. I mean, I have nothing but respect. I yeah. mean, back in the day, we saw goalies play 68, 70 games. We saw, we saw guys just play, you know, <laughs> what they, and it was incredible, right? Like, you know, but some of them played on these, yeah. these shutdown defensive teams where there wasn't as much work every night and the game was simpler maybe. But for a goalie that has got to make the saves that Connor Hellebuck has to make in a game, because I will tell you that I know a lot of people are saying, yeah. and I've spoken with Rick Bonus over the last uh, few weeks that I've covered the Jets quite a bit, and, uh, you know, he's trying to get his team, uh, he's trying to get big guys on all of his lines. He wants more net drive. He wants more, he wants more offense, more pucks to the net. But I'm going to tell you right now, one area that's slipping is in the, from their blue line to their net. It has not been good. They are, they are not, def- their defensive zone coverage has not looked uh, as good as I think it has in, 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 earlier in the season. There are five wins and seven losses in their last 12 games. Um, I think uh, this is a team that is kind of, I wouldn't say tail spinning because they're in a very good spot and they played some really good hockey. And I think they're a very good team, but I think they're spinning their tires a little bit. And uh, I think that uh, I I think they're going to have to go out and do something. I think they need a defenseman. I think they need to go out and really look at acquiring a, a, a solid top four defenseman because, you know, after you get through Morrissey and Pionk, you know, it starts to get, starts to get a little bit, you know, starts to get a little bit uh, thin there and more guys are in the five, six, seven, four, five, six, seven range, but you're missing that, that three, four slot a little bit. Hmm. I think they could use a guy there that could really help. I I really believe that. Um, You look at the game last night against New Jersey, the first three goals that were scored, everybody was back in the zone. Everybody was in the right places, but nobody picked up the right guy. And ended up in the back of the net. You know, when you when you can stop the camera and see all your four or five guys all in the right places, but yet the other team's still scoring, that's defensive zone breakdowns. Yeah. And that's that's what I saw a lot of last night. And that's what I've been seeing a little bit. So, but this is a very good team, and with a couple of added pieces and Connor Hellebuck, you know, and the way Josh Morrissey's playing, I think this is a team that could do yeah. some damage. But we, I don't know. I don't know if you think the same way I do, but. 
but you know, Kevin. No, I do. Kevin I, 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 is not. He doesn't, I, I, doesn't jump on things. He's very slow moving. He takes his time. So he, here's uh, just hearing you speak about this. There's there's one name that jumps out at me, and Rick Bonus has coached him before, and I don't disagree with you. I think I think if you're Winnipeg, you're looking at adding someone on the back end. What about John Klingberg? He's on the yeah. expiring contract. Rick Bo- Rick Bonus knows him. Um, I, we all firmly believe that Pat Verbeek brought him in on on the one year deal just so they could move him at trade deadline and and pick up an asset and 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 accelerate their rebuild. Could John Klingberg be a fit in Winnipeg? Well, I think that that's the one thing where you know Rick Bonus, like you said, there's always. How was Rick Bonus's relationship with Klingberg? Was it good? Was it a good one? Did they, right. you know, did did he feel like Klingberg was a valuable asset, or did he feel like it was a diminishing guy that you, they had to move? So he's gonna, you know, only Rick Bonus knows that, and and I think that he's somebody that could definitely help. I think he's he's somebody that comes in with a lot of experience and a little savvy when it comes to dicey areas at chaotic times in games. You want guys who can have a little moxie and savvy that. You know, when the seas are rough, do you have enough guys that can settle it down? You know, make the simple four, six foot passes, make those one pass clear zones, you know, uh, you know, just this, the simple things that can get momentum back in the game and stop the sliding a little bit. Uh, a guy like Klingberg could do that hmm. for sure. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, it's like defensemen are so hard to find. You got to pay such a price for them. Uh, but if they could find yeah. a team that's willing to move, you know, a top three guy that feels like they're going to move them. They're in the middle of making a lot of changes and they want to get value. Uh, there could be, you know, one or two guys that pop up. And I, I would think Winnipeg has to be front and center in taking a run at, mm-hmm. at those players when they become available. Cause it could be the difference. They do have firepower up front. Uh, I think a few guys have gotten a bit cold. Their power play has gotten a bit cold. Um, I think when Ehlers came back from his long-term injury, uh, pieces got moved around. Uh, you know, a power play that was clicking on all cylinders now has struggled for a while. So once they get that back, and, and hopefully they will, uh, you know, that's going to help them. But I do think that, as we know in the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, defending and, and the ability to, to go through periods of time when your opponent is applying pressure on you, that you bend but you don't break. And, you know, we've seen you um, know, Tampa do that for years. And as we're having this conversation, John Klingberg has just picked up an assist. Frank Fatrano has just made a two nothing. Anaheim leads the uh, the Florida Panthers. Let me uh, let me ask you one final question. I got about sixty seconds for this one. Um, Jacob Truba, he does one of the most unique things in the NHL. Hits hard, hits for keeps, and hits. I know that people get controversial about this one. Hits cleanly. That is so hard to do. Your thoughts on Jacob Truba? There's not a lot of them. There's not a lot of Jacob Trubas because our game has changed so much. You know, the the game is is changing so much. And we heard Ken Hitchcock, he voiced the fact that he feels like all the physical play is coming out of the game. You certainly notice, uh, Jeff, that the dirty areas of our game where it was you had to go earn your keep, you don't have to work as hard in those areas anymore. They're not as physical as they used to be. So, the game has changed. It's built on speed and transition and, 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 and offensive skill sets and, and, and really dynamic players that can make things happen. Uh, so when you get a player like Jacob Truba, who 
when you step on the ice, head on a swivel. Scott Stevens, head on a swivel. Oh, yeah. If you don't have your head on a swivel, yeah. then he loosens all your gear. You know, like, it's just the way it goes down. And he doesn't, and he doesn't, <laughs> he, he, he doesn't ask for, a, he doesn't apologize. Yeah. He's not, he's not apologizing. And neither did Scott Stevens. I'm going to come up. I'm going to rip India. I'm going to hit, I'm going to try to hit you clean. And most cases he does. But, yeah, it, it, that's a little, that, you know, Gerard Glant loves having that guy. And especially he's their captain, too. And he, he plays from the tip. Yes. And, um, and I think the players respect that. And uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, Gerard Glant, don't, don't negate the fact how important Gerard Glant is to this whole landscape there in New York, too. You know, he's a guy that, that, that played a certain way. And even though you're a skilled guy on that team, he expects you to play a certain way. Yeah, he does not like his squads to get pushed around. Uh, listen, Gary, this has been great. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Very much look forward uh, to the call. It's the Winnipeg Jets and the New York Rangers on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Thanks, Gary. No problem, Jeff, anytime. There is the great Gary Galley from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Okay, roll credits. We'll start with the thank yous. Uh, Dr. Ali Rendley uh, for stopping by to talk about Jonathan Taves and his situation. Mark Lazarus from The Athletic on the Blackhawks proper. Um, Shannon Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast alongside Gary Galley, whom you just heard from the NHL on Sportsnet. Thank you, Jen Rolnick. Thank you, Lance Kennedy. Thank you, Matt Marchese. And thanks you for listening. Thanks to you for watching. Rogers, Monday Night Hockey tonight, Winnipeg Jets and the New York Rangers. Enjoy it. Merrick Show returns tomorrow, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Have a great day.